fighting out of the blue corner, standing at six inches and weighing less than a pound, the Blue Bomber. And his opponent, fighting out of the red corner, standing at six inches and also less than a pound, the Red Rocker. This is the story of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. This is Toys World. Hello, toy fans and boxing fans alike. Welcome back to another brand new episode of Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. Every week we take you by the hand and lead you back to the past to learn about how our favorite toys from our childhood were brought into this world. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me through this journey is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hello. Brian, it is no secret, by any means, that America loves violence. It's true. A country born and bred on just unbridled, reckless, consistent violence. Yep. And as America is wont to do, children are indoctrined at a very young age to embrace said violence. It's true. So, rock'em, sock'em, robots. Rock'em, sock'em, robots. Let's just dive right on in. You ready? Let's do it. Let's go. So we start our journey in 1964. Not a bad year. Where we meet up with the Lewis B. Marks Company. Okay. And Marks' toy line is one that does not get much love. It's vastly underappreciated. I agree. Created in New York City in 1919 by Lewis Marks and his brother David, the mission statement over at Marks Toys was to give the customer more toy for less money. Well, that's admirable. Yeah, so it's kind of like Betty James with a slinky. Yeah, yeah. How she was like, no, here's a fixed price point. Don't fuck with it. Yeah. You know, like, toys should not break the bank. Which is nice. It's hard to come across that. It really is. I mean, usually every it's just a very shark-like yeah. eater-be-eaten. Yeah. Lewis Marks listed six qualities he believed were needed for a successful toy. Okay. Familiarity. Yep. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Skill. Yep. Play value. Yep. Comprehensibility. Yep. And sturdiness. Definitely. Which is undoubtedly... That's a good six principles six to pillars, have. Yeah. Um, it's definitely what has made each toy we've covered. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. All of them have had those six pillars. Yeah. To, like, rest upon. Without a doubt. Um, there's, like, no flashes in the pans Mm-mm. of stuff that we've covered. You know? No, not, no. Mm-mm. Um, so by the mid-1920s, the Marx Brothers were millionaires. Boom! Which, to me, is kind of funny, because... At one point in time, there were two completely unrelated set of millionaire Marx, Marx. Brothers <laughs> doing like completely different things. Yeah, wide, widely at, at different ends of the spectrums. But good for them. But you know, yeah, I mean, well, they were, you could say they were both in the entertainment business. That's true. That's true. Um, initially, Marx produced few original toys. Um by predicting the hits and manufacturing them less expensively than the competition. Okay. So, like, they saw when something would take off yeah. and made the knockoff. <laughs> Had their fingers firmly on the yeah. pulse. Like the yo-yo. Um, theirs sold so much that sometimes their um, 
wrongly credited with inventing the yo-yo. Really? Yeah. Um, because during the 1920s, they sold about 100 million yo-yos. That's a lot of fucking yo-yos. Yeah. Something so fucking simple, yeah. you know? Um, but unlike most companies, Mark's revenues grew during the Great Depression. By 1937, the company had more than 3.2 million assets, or 3.2 million dollars in assets. That's a lot of scratch for back then. Dude. With inflation, that comes out to be about 56 million. Holy fuck! Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and they were able to settle the debt that they used to build the company, which was then 500 thousand dollars. Inflated, that's nine million. Phew. So that didn't really hurt them. Yeah, not yeah. at all. Um. Marx was the largest toy manufacturer in the world by the 1950s, and Fortune magazine in January 1946 declared him Toy King. Holy shit. Suggesting that at least $20 million in sales would happen in 1941. But again, in 1955, a Time magazine article proclaimed Lewis Marx the Toy King, and that year the company had about $50 million in sales. Wow. Marx was the star article of the magazine with the picture displayed on the front cover. And he was the initial inductee into the Toy Industry Hall of Fame. And his plaque proclaimed him the Henry Ford of the toy industry. That is high praise. Hell yeah. Despite Henry Ford being a piece of shit. Oh, God, yes. There's a lot of piece of shits in industry, you know? I mean... That's not... I mean, we don't know that Lewis Marx wasn't a piece of shit. We don't. We don't. He liked to make cheap toys because he knew it would make money. We don't know, like... Yeah, what he did to to secure that particular future. A month... The most enduring Marx creations were a long series of boxed playsets through the 1950s and 60s based on television shows and historical events. Okay. These included Roy Rogers' Rodeo Ranch. Say that three times fast. Shit. Walt Disney's Davy Crockett at the Alamo, Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, The Rifleman Ranch, The Lone Ranger Ranch, Battle of the Blue and Gray, The Revolutionary War... Including Johnny Tremaine. What? No, no Bonanza, <laughs> right? Um, my dad loved Gunsmoke, so I have yeah. an affinity for Gunsmoke over Bonanza. Yeah. Even though bum 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 bum, you get it in your head, you're like, oh fuck. Yeah, it's like, oh fuck, Bonanza. It's in there now. Yep. <laughs> of Wells Fargo, The Untouchables, Robin Hood, The Battle of the Little Bighorn, An Arctic Explorer, Ben-Hur, Fort Apache, Zorro, Battleground, Tom Corbett Training Academy, and many others. Dude, that's pretty baller. Hell yeah. I mean, that's a great list. Yeah. Each playset included highly detailed plastic figures and accessories, many with some of the toy world's finest tin lithography. Baller. Hell yeah. Because, you know, like, you build a lot. Yeah. Doing the tin figures. Yeah, that's... That's a whole different thing. You yeah, know? that's next level. Um, a Mark's playset box was invariably bursting with contents, yet very few were produced that 
priced above the average of four to seven dollars. <laughs> Hell yeah. So like he said, man, hey, he's not gonna do something that's gonna cost an arm and a leg. Right, right. Um greatly expanded sets such as Giant Ben Hur sold for ten to twelve dollars in the early sixties. This pricing it's formula still, that's not bad. No, not at all. This pricing formula adhered to the Marx policy of more for less. And made the entire series attainable to most customers for many years. Sounds like they really delivered on that yeah. that motto. Oh no shit. Uh, original sets are highly prized by baby boomer collectors to this day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bet I could ask my dad about that stuff and oh. he'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. After these messages, we'll be right if you're anything like me, you listen to more podcasts than you know what to do with. If you want to be even more like me, well, you should download the Podcoin app. It's a free and very user-friendly app that pays you to listen to podcasts. You get paid in Podcoins, which you can do one of two things with. Put it towards charities, they have an entire full list. Or buy yourself a gift card from Target, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Amazon, the list goes on and on. So what are you waiting for? Download the Podcoin app today and use the code TOYSWERUS to get yourself 300 extra Podcoins. And now, back to the show. Uh, they actually also produced dollhouses from the 1920s into the 1970s. No shit? Yeah. In the late 1940s, Marx began to produce metal lithographed dollhouses with plastic furniture. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The dollhouses were variations of the colonial style. Um... An instant sensation was the Disney House, featured in the Ooh. 1949 Sears catalog. <laughs> Man, the Sears catalog. Oh, we'll do the episode about that. Too. Oh yeah, that's that's one unto itself. Uh, the popularity of Marx's dollhouses gained momentum, and up to 150,000 Marx dollhouses were produced in the 1950s. Holy shit. Yeah. Two house sizes were available, with two different size furniture uh, sets to match. The most popular in the one inch to one and a half inch and a larger 3-4 inch to 2 inch scale. An L-shaped ranch hit the market in 1953, followed by a split level of 1958. Baller. Um, in the early 1960s, a dollhouse with a bomb shelter was sold. What? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. That'd be pretty fucking awesome to have. Yeah. Um, in 1963, Marx began making a series of beatnik-style plastic figurines called the Nutty Mads. <laughs> which included some almost psychedelic creations such as Donald the Demon, a half duck, half madman driving a miniature car. Um, these were kind of similar to the counterculture characters of other companies. Um, kind of reminds you of, like those rat Yeah, things. the rat fink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by Big Daddy Ed Roth. Yeah. Or the hawk models like weirdos. Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Um, and as the space race, he- space race heated up, Marx's place has reflected the obsession with all things extraterrestrial, such as Rex Mars, Moon Base, and Cape Canaveral. Nice. And the IGY International Geophysical Year, um, amongst other space-themed sets. Did they ever make any Star Trek sets? The, the no. Star Trek nerd in me has to ask. No. Mm-mm. That's a bit disappointing. Yeah. It, it might have been a little bit... Too soon That's for true. Trek, I think, maybe, yeah. in their heyday. Yeah. Uh, in a similar theme, Marx also capitalized on the robot craze. Yeah. Producing the Big Lou, Your Friend from the Moon. Huh. And the topic of this week's episode, Rock'em Zop'em. Yeah. 
That's going to catapult us to 1964, where we meet up with Marv's toys trying to find their next big hit. They had an idea, but they really needed help designing it, which is uh, where a friend of the show stepped in. Our cousin, Marvin, Marvin Glass. Marvin Glass. Yeah, Marvin Glass and Associates stepped boy. in to help design the toy for Marks. This makes Marvin Glass a Toys R Us three-time champ. Yeah. Simon, Lightbright, and now Rock'em Sock'em. Like, he's going to get inducted into the Toys R Us Hall of Fame. No shit. Um, he might be the first one. Honestly. That's fucking three massive hits right there. Huge. Um, the late 1960s were heady times for technology. While the superpowers raced to put a man on the moon, scientists and wannabe theorists dreamed of how technologies would make the world a safer, happier, and easier place to live. Right. Robots would take over most of men's menial tasks, opening the way for more leisure and family time. But thankfully, while some were dreaming of all the noble things the machines could do one day, there were others who were trying to answer in the question... Wait. There were others who were trying to answer the question of, what will we do with all these robots? <laughs> and their answer was a resounding, let's make them go balls deep in a Donnybrook. Yeah. Uh... Standing inside the roped-off Rock'em Sock'em Arena were two boxy, hefty robots, the Blue Bomber and the Red Rocker, and both of them were dying for a good fight. And one of them wasn't Sammy Hagar. Ooh. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the managers, which is what uh, all the advertisements refer to the kids playing okay. Rock'em Sock'em Robots as, right, right. Uh, took control of the levers that jolted out from the ring. They got a firm grip, and they sent their plastic bots into a battle. You would slide the levers around to move the red and blue robots around their small arena, and there was another bu- another button, two buttons, which controlled the left hook and the right hook. Right, right. Um, all it took was one solid hit on their, like, Achilles heel, which was their jaw. Yeah, ka-chunk. Yeah. And you hear the fucking and you fucking win. Yep. Uh, if you, if you decided to be a boxing purist, you would go for 12 rounds, but okay. Rock'em Sock'em Robots only asked that you went 10 rounds. Okay. With the official scorecards and whatnot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're the basics of the robot to robot combat, but every kid has his own strategy to outbox his fellow robot master. Some of them were wild men, which that was like me. Yeah, was, me too. I went all over the fucking place. Very aggressive. You're not you're not going to catch me doing the same thing over and over. Nope. Um, others were, like, playing chess. Yeah. You know, okay, how can I get this open? Move, counter Try move. Out. Absolutely. Uh, Marx introduced Rock'em Sock'em Robots in the holiday season of 1964, and it did not take long to catch on at all. I bet not. No. Because fighting was always cool, you know? Yeah. Like, like, oh, shit. Everybody's always out for a little bit of blood at some point, you know? And if you can see fucking robots fighting... So much the better. Oh, absolutely. If that's what they were, like, touting as, like, the future thing... Yeah, robot fights. That's perfect. Including the original Rock'em Sock'em robot box was a way to turn the box into an arena. Nice! The back wall of the box... Folded over. Okay. And there's an entire cheering crowd. Oh, like a little grandstand. Basically, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, also in the original box was a scorecard. Right. 
Which I, I didn't know. I didn't know that either. I found a picture of it and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, and Robin's Up and Robots kept aggressive young hooligans entertained for hours on end <laughs> as the toys continued to sell well into the 70s. Yeah. They also were available in the UK in the 70s. But not known as Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Oh, I gotta hear this. What British term did they give them? Raving bonkers. Raving bonkers. And the two robot robot. The two robots were renamed. The two robots? Yes. The blue bomber became the Basher Bonker. <laughs> and the Red Rocker became the Biffer Bonker. Eh, I don't like it. No. I I much prefer the American version. Yeah. Um Bonker. They also released an updated version of Rock'em Sock'em Robots called Clash of Cosmic Robots in 1977, which featured robots of a design more suitable for the space age. Nice. The redesign was inspired by the success of Star Wars <laughs> and released in May of 1977. Instead of a red and blue robot, Clash of the Cosmic Robots featured PROG2, an orange robot with a head more like that of Robocop. Oh. And V-Sticks, a white robot with a long, protruding mouth and no eyes. Huh. The boxing ring was molded in black to give it a look of... Spacey. Yeah. Nice. Space. And stickers and decals for both the robots and ring were provided following the same concept. I'm okay with this. Yeah, That awesome. sounds pretty badass. Yeah. For a period of time in the mid-90s, the blue bot was changed to a darker shade of blue and given the old Proc 2 head. Okay. So like, Switched it up uh, a bit. Yeah. And the red robot was changed to a gray color, but the instructions called him silver. Uh, this is when, like, they really couldn't, like, they nail were, silver. Yeah. It was just kind of, like, a muted lump gray. Of gray. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, uh, thanks. It's like, well, I really like this. You <laughs> know, like, back in the day, Wolverine's claws were just, like, this weird... Muddy yeah. gray color. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay. it's like this isn't silver. This no shine to this whatsoever. No. But sure. Uh, they also changed their names to Bolt Crusher Bob and Gear Grinder Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the cosmetic changes, the game remained the same. And in 2000, a remake of the classic version was developed by, by Mattel at approximately half the size of the original models. That's a little lame. Why uh, why miniaturize? Yeah, I don't get that. In the Game Boy Advance game, more robots were introduced, including the Yellow Yahoo, <laughs> the Brown Bully. Are you ready for this one? Oh, uh, hit me. It's kind of what we have right now, okay? The Orange Oppressor. <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Stretcher and the Purple Pyro. As well as the Green Grappler, the Pink Pummeler, and the Black Bruiser. Those are actually some pretty clever names. Yeah. I'll give them points on that Hell one. Hell yeah. Uh, there was a PlayStation 1 game, and a game that was also made into a mobile game by Oasis Mobile. Uh, the latest mobile game, however, was developed by One Step Mobile LLC for iPhone and Android devices. Really? Yeah. Um, they're also... They also appear in Toy Story 2, as Al McWiggin, who's the villain, basically... Who owns Al to- Al's Toy Barn. Oh, okay. Has uh, a Rock'em Sock'em robot um, sitting in his office. <laughs> uh, they also actually appear in The Incredibles. They're in, Did uh, they? Yeah, they're in Mr. Incredibles' like, office. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. And 
in Toy Story, they were uh, voiced by John Lasseter. Because, <laughs> of course. Yeah, naturally. John Lasseter. He's in everything. Yeah. Um, and also kind of a piece of shit. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't hear about that? No. Oh. Yeah, that's why dude doesn't work for Disney anymore. Really? Yeah, sexual harassment claims. Oh. That's why he's heading up uh, DreamWorks animation now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, they fired his ass. Wow. Yep. Did not know that. Yep. Fucked up. Yep. You reap what you sow. That's that's a fucking fact, man. Yeah. Um, Rock and Sucking Robots also showed up in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um... During the musical number about my TV. Huh. Which makes sense. Yeah, it uh, definitely does. Uh, they appeared at the 72nd uh, Academy Awards alongside the Toy Story cast, presenting the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. <laughs> and in 2016, mm-hmm. David Buster's put out a giant Rock'em Sock'em Robot. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've never been to David Buster's. Uh, I've always wanted to go, but... Bro, it's awesome. It's basically like everything you would want it to be. Like when you were little and you went to Chuck E. Cheese, and you're yeah, like, oh, this is awesome. But now that it's it's for like adults, amped up for adults. It's so good. Oh well, and I know where we're we taking went, a field trip. The last time we went, there was a uh, huge fucking sit down Luigi's Mansion. Really? Yeah. That sounds bad as fuck. And you could the controller was the vacuum. No shit. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, that sounds baller as fuck. Um. They've been kids' meals, toys, finger puppets, ornaments, bobbleheads by Funko. Finger puppets. Pre Funko Pop. Pre Funko Pop. Okay. Uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Rock'em Sock'em. Okay, robots. so that's pretty all right. Yeah. Yeah. Optimus Prime versus Megatron. Now that's bad as fuck. That yeah. that's right in my wheelhouse. Uh, there were knockoff versions: Clubber Lang versus Rocky. <laughs> Qui Gon Jinn versus Darth Maul. <laughs> And Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. So, like, does Darth Maul run Qui-Gon Jinn through with his lightsaber in the end? Shink. Um, And that will lead us to our pint-sized scholar, Facty, the fact in the box. Yeah. What you got for us today, Facty? enjoyed his wealth at a 20.5 acre estate in the wealthy suburb of Scarsdale, north of New York City. The estate featured a 25-room Gregorian mansion, a barn and stable for the horses he raised, and the estate was sold to a developer after his death in 1982 to make way for some 29 homes. Holy shit! Yeah. Damn! Yeah. So just imagine like how much room this dude had that when he died to make twenty nine houses. houses. That's like a an entire fucking subdivision. No shit. Um, Rock'em Sock'em Robots punched their way to number forty nine on tops uh, times top one hundred toys. I'm a little sad it isn't higher. Yeah, because to me that feels like it's a very iconic toy. It really, really is. I mean, there's nobody in the world who hasn't heard of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. That's true. In 2016. Rock'em Sock'em Robots were nominated to be put into the Toy Hall of Fame, but yes. they lost. What? They lost to Dungeons & Dragons, Fisher Price's Little People, mm. and The Swing. Like, oh. yes, like a, pre- a playground swing. 
like, wow, that's like inducting I mean, the fucking sense. wheel into a hall of fame. You know what I mean? Like those yeah. things. You can't like I can't be mad at any of those. Yeah. I mean, they're all fucking awesome. Uh, the movie Real Steel was an obvious homage to Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Definitely. Uh, Zachary Shivers and Annie Flinchbaugh have created a motion-controlled version of the game as part of Texas Instruments' co-op design challenge. That sounds awesome. Yes. As you can probably imagine, this requires plenty of servos and circus boards... Circus. Circuit boards built underneath the ring. Right. But the, the key ingredient is the Texas Instruments accelerometer encrypt, uh, accelerometer-equipped Kronos watch. Which lets you translate your actual punches into Rock'em Sock'em punches. That sounds bad as fuck. It does sound fucking awesome. Yeah, it does. Um, and so we finish spectating on the story of the Rock'em Sock'em robots. It's cool to know that something like so simplistic has been just like a staple in so many people's childhoods over five fucking decades. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a long time. I mean, because violence never changes. You know? Right, war never changes. Unfortunately. Nothing's, nothing's going to stop it. Um, if you like what you heard and you enjoy learning about the toys that you grew up with and you want to support the show, we have a few ways you can do that. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on app, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. They are the heavyweight champions of podcast popularity. And we true. don't want them to knock our blocks off. Nope. Uh, you could also become a patron at patreon.com slash Podcast. We have... Quite a few tiers, the lowest one being $3. Uh, and each one gets you a producer credit at the end of every episode. Right. Um, and follow us on all social media. We are at Toys R Us Podcast across the board. Yeah. Until next time, remember to watch for the left hook. And remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So, thank you to Jeremy, Jessica... Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon, and Stephen. Thanks a bunch, guys. And action! I don't think that's a proper camera, Murray. Yeah, mobile phone camera. I think it's mostly a phone. It's not what they'd use on a music video, though. Yeah, well, it's what we're using, isn't it? I mean, it's all I've got. It's taking good footage. You look good. Is it? Yeah. Okay. What are these supposed to be? Those are just your function buttons for the robot. They look like nipples. Don't touch them. Like, I spent ages making these guys. It looks good. Now let's just start again. It's all I had. Well, it doesn't look like Daft Punk. We wanted ones like Daft Punk. I don't know who he is. They're just robots from the future, right?